Hey, it's your host, Ben. After we learned about the passing of John Prine on April 7th of 2020, we knew we needed to do another episode to celebrate John's life. I reached out to a number of recent guests to talk about John and his influence on the music community. What you're about to listen to is an episode of just that, honest and open conversations that show the level of admiration and appreciation that Prine deserves. You all hear my voice enough on these episodes. You won't hear my voice much on this one because these recorded conversations are almost all dominated by the musicians who are inspired by John. We'll share some laughs, share some great Prine stories, share some fantastic lyrics, and I've included some sound clips from some of our guests' favorite John Prine songs. First up, we'll hear from Central Florida musician Jordan Foley and his cover of Prine's song, Souvenirs. Hope you enjoy Jordan's version, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Rest in power, John Bryan. have come and gone Broken toys and faded colors Are all that's left to linger on I hate graveyards and old pawn shops For they always bring me tears Can't forget the way they robbed me Of my childhood souvenirs Memories that can't be bought in They can't be won Carnivals for free but It took me years Getting these souvenirs And I don't know how They slipped away from me Broken hearts and dirty windows Make life difficult to see Why last night and this morning Always look the same to me I hate reading old love letters For they always bring me tears I can't forget the way they robbed me Of my child's sweetheart souvenirs Memories that can't be bought in They can't be won at carnivals for free Well it took me years To get in these souvenirs And I don't know how 
slipped away from me Memories that can't be born and They can't be won The carnival's free Well it took me years To get in these souvenirs And I don't know how They slipped away from me Please welcome to the virtual roundtable, Ian Jones. Hello, hello. So you might remember him from our James Taylor episode that we did in 2019. And also joining us is Shane Leonard. Hey, everybody. And uh, you might remember Shane from our John Bryan episode. How are you guys holding up? Hanging in there. Hanging in there. That seems to be the consensus. Yeah. So I I will say this. So I reached out to a, a number of people. About uh, John Prine. So I think the outpouring that we saw on the internet, on on Twitter, people doing little tributes. Uh, I know I saw, you know, Brandy Carlisle did uh, did did a video. Um, you know, Eric Church did one. Uh, just saw a great outpouring of admiration for for John Prine, and um, you know I. Well, I reached out to uh, to one of our former guests, Michael MacArthur. We did an episode with him last year, and um, he was going to join us, but work, he's working on some new music and wasn't able to carve out some time. I wanted to give him some kudos because we probably wouldn't be doing this episode had it not been for him. So last year, Michael picked The Tree of Forgiveness as the record that he wanted to, to, to chat about. and. Um, Wayne, safe to say that both of us fell in love with Tree of Forgiveness? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I went back to that record a lot in 2019. It was a, it was a great comfort to me, uh, especially during the latter half of 2019 when my, when my dad passed away. And I felt like the, the themes in Tree of Forgiveness of mortality in the afterlife just, just really hit home to me. So, uh, so Michael, if you're listening to this episode after the fact, though, after we're recording this, so um, thank you for introducing us, and and um, I can definitely say that uh, uh, I I turned into a John Prine fan after after doing that episode. Uh, Wayne, do you remember what our favorite song was collectively? Was it Summer's End? Yeah, we all agreed that Summer's End was our favorite song, and that rarely happens ever. When we're and we've done uh, about a hundred episodes now, and it rarely happens that all of us, the guests, and you and me, will actually agree on a song. How about you guys, uh, Ian and, and Shane? Were you guys familiar with Tree of Forgiveness? Yeah, love that record. Got it on vinyl. I think it's on the turntable right now. Actually, I'm sure it is. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of like when I get to heaven and knocking on your screen door, but I haven't heard all the songs, so I need to. I, I was a little like you. I was a little late to the prime party. So I, I will ask you guys this. If you could pick one prime record for your desert Island disc, which one would you, would you take? I'm taking bruised orange. Yeah. How about you, Shane? Which one would you take? I've, I thought about it. It's, uh, it's such a tough question. Cause I feel like, um, you know, I feel like some like Dylan, for example, 
maybe it's possibly easy to pick your favorite Dylan record because each of his records is so different, you know, like, um, like freewheeling is, you know, is like the original, the raw acoustic, like Woody Guthrie impression stuff. And then, you know, highway 61 revisited is goes electric. And then, um, uh, you know, time, um, uh, what's it called? Time out of mind is, yeah. um, is like the whole Lanois vibe. And they're all, they're all like totally different works, but I feel like Brian, all of his great songs are all just sprinkled so evenly through every record. So I, I actually, um, I love bruised orange. I, I love them all, but ultimately lost dogs and mixed, uh, mixed blessings, I think is my favorite. Okay. All right, that's that's a good one. How about you, Ian? Which one would you take? I'm going with this first record only because the. I mean, again, I'm I'm ignorant of all his records. The ones that I have listened to, um, just the, the story behind it, and you know, I think "Hello" in there is such a great song. I was talking with my mom this morning about Prine from being a songwriter myself. When you listen to, I mean, it's like almost like every single thing he does, he has this way of taking simplicity, and then he t- his choice of subject and it, it, I don't know. I and the fact that he was the fact that he was a mailman, he just was doing open mics. The, you know, they, I, I make it makes you wonder if there's any other John Prines out there in the world that just haven't been discovered yet. If there's people out there that are just you know have a J job and write songs on the side and show up occasionally to do an open mic and haven't been discovered yet. Going back to uh, the lost dogs and mixed blessings. So uh, the first time this week was the first time that I ever listened to that. And man, I fell in love with that record. Like the, the, the song Lake Marie is so yeah. good. And, and that goes back to what you guys were saying about the, the, taking just the, the the simple things and turning it into a story where it's just like vibrant. I mean, I, I even wrote down some, some lyrics from, from Lake Marie where he's, he's talking about the four Italian sausages cooking on the outdoor grill and man, they were sizzling. Uh, and, and, and then the line uh, where he says, we found ourselves in Canada trying to save our marriage and perhaps catch a fish. Like that's whichever so, one was easier. Like it's so good. <laughs> like you can just throw out those little gems, and he he did that through all of his songs. There was always like one standout line where you're like, "Did he just say that?" Oh, yeah. I think that song is. Um, I mean, the record as a whole is really cool. It's there's like a largeness sonically about it that I think is really unique. Just that song. I think that's my favorite song of his because it's the weird. To me, it's one of the weirdest. Like every time I hear it, I try to really listen close and kind of like decode it. And I feel like I still haven't totally decoded it because it's so. I mean, it's like such a kind of like a metaphysical journey. You know, he starts Indian tribe finding two babies in the woods and how these lakes were named, and then and then he goes on to talk about trying to save his marriage and. And you know, Santa by the lake, and then and then at the end, then he gets into like describing this um, 
murder scene that he saw on TV on the news with this with this really disturbing <laughs> imagery about how like blood looks like shadows in black and white, and then shadows. Yeah, shouts shadows, and it's such a bizarre move. Like, why? It's not that's to me isn't like an obvious thing that somebody would think to do. The whole like refrain of shouting Marie and shouting shadows, and um, but it's so effective. Like, it really, it really, I don't know, it creates this beautiful sadness and this tragedy or something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think that. That song is why that record is my favorite, for sure. Gotcha. When did you guys discover John Prine? Ian, when did you discover John? Kind of like Graham Parsons. You know, I had heard of him my whole life. But and I, again, I was talking to my mom this morning, and I'm really surprised that with the selection of music we had in our house, that we didn't have all of John Prine's stuff. And we, and my mom, was, we were both like, yeah, it's really kind of weird because of all the stuff that we had, but... The same thing, like I said, with Graham Parsons, I had heard about him. I knew about him. And then when you hear songs, you're like, oh. you know, obviously Angel from Montgomery. Everyone knows that song because of what Bonnie Ray did with it and some yeah. other people. Um, but it was I was down at Powell's in Portland and I was getting a I don't know. This was probably seven or eight years ago. And uh, I was buying uh, my quarterly stock of biographies and things that I always I love that store. Um, it's great. And uh yeah. And I saw a box of John Prine, and I was like, oh, yeah, John Prine, duh. Why don't, I'll share, why not? So I, I got that, and I read the book, and I was fascinated by his life story. I mean, it was just it was just amazing to me. And then I started, I got the first record. That's what I always do whenever I find someone. I always get their first record, because I figure that's the one that they put there. You know, when they were, depending on when they were discovered or when they started recording, they probably put their life's work on their first record, then they go on from there. And I was just blown away by, again, by how simplicity, the simplicity and how he, he, he writes and he plays. I mean, he fingerpicks a pretty interesting pattern. Um, but anyone who can play four or five chords on the guitar could probably play most of his songs. Um, but I, the, his delivery, and especially when you, when you watch, that's the beautiful thing about, I come out to my studio and I, I'll, I'll go down the rabbit hole of whoever but I was doing that just recently with John Prine. And what, what amazes me is how when he would sing songs, he would tell the stories and he would kind of giggle and laugh and all that. And then when he got into the song, it's like immediately he was 100%. There was like a sincerity that comes across in every single thing that I've heard him do. Um, and I don't know. So probably, probably seven or eight years ago, is when I really started to pay attention and listen. Um, and it's just one of those things where I, I, I kick myself. I'm like, man, I wish I would have, especially being a songwriter, if I would have known about him when I was in my late teens, my writing would probably be drastically different. Wow. You know? Yeah. Cause he's so, he, again, you know, like Shane was saying, specific, lines in songs and you listen to them and you say what it's like who thinks that way and then to be able to put them into a song and almost sneak them in without having them be like the jam in the line it's like you almost like you have to listen you listen to it the third time and you're like wait did he just say that yeah how did i miss that the first time yeah how about you shane when, when did you get introduced to prime i guess i have two answers to that one is um the one that i remember 
is when I was in college, um, I remember um, a friend of mine, Justin Vernon, who was kind of like when we were in college, he was part of this older group of musicians who were like just out of school, who a bunch of us really looked up to and, uh, you know, and still do. And, and Justin, you know, loves talking about songs and, and music and just talks about or talked about John Prine all the time. And, um, and eventually I remember when I was in college, I thought, well, if, you know, Justin's a great songwriter. And if I want to get better at songwriting, I should check out some of those influences. So I went to like Borders, I think, or something and got the anthology, that Great Days anthology and um, and put it on. And it was really different than what I expected, you know, obviously. I mean, like his voice had a lot of different sounds, but especially in the early days, you know, it's it's like pretty raw and um and the production on a lot of the songs is really funny you know it's like i said it's not what i expected there's like all this tin whistle and flute and um you know pretty like direct kind of cheesy bass tone and um some of the songs are really really beautifully like underproduced and sparse and then some of them are pretty overproduced and uh so even after I got the anthology, it took me a couple of years to really like come around to him. Um, but then just a couple of days ago, I was talking about his passing uh, on the phone with my mom. And she told me that when I was born in the delivery room, my dad had brought a bunch of John Prine um, music to the delivery room to have on like while my mom was in labor. So I guess uh, uh, like technically John Prine is the first music that I ever heard in the world. <laughs> that's, that's cool. Yeah. The one question that I've got is how, how, how is fish and whistle not a huge ass song that everybody should know? Oh, I don't know that. I don't know. I, I was just listening to Bruce Dornch before we started and yeah. that one. And then if you uh, was that, that's the way the world goes round. I'm surprised that's not a much more popular song. Yeah. Like like a like a traditional standard that we all should know. I feel like it's kind of a standard among like songwriter nerds, you know? But to the layman, maybe they're maybe it's in their blind spot. I was in the army, but I never dug a trench. Used to bust my knuckles on a monkey ranch. I go to town and drink, give the girls a pinch, but I don't think they ever even notice me. Father, forgive us for what we must do. You forgive us, we'll forgive you. We'll forgive each other till we both turn blue. Then we'll whistle and go fishing in the heaven. Fish and whistle, a whistle and fish. Eat everything that they put on your dish. And when we get through, we'll make a big wish that we never have to do this again, again. Again. Oh, my very first job I said thank you and please They made me scrub a parking lot down on my knees Then I got fired for being scared of bees And they only give me 50 cents an hour Father forgive us for what we must do You forgive us, we'll forgive you We'll forgive each other till we both turn blue Then we'll whistle and go fishing in the heaven What are some other songs that, uh, you know, Ian, you touched on Angel Angel from Montgomery, which, you know, I think 
everybody knows whether it's Prine's version, whether it's Bonnie's version, whether it's somebody else's version, but what are the songs that people should know? I mean, I just threw out fish and whistle, but um, you know, I, I know that there's a, a lot of other songs that I think people really should know illegal smile. Hello in there. What, what are some of the songs that you guys, when you, when you hear them and you're, you just go, why is, why was this not a huge song? Why is this not in the, to, to use a, a, a word that we've heard a couple times on our podcast, Wayne, why is this not in the zeitgeist? You know? Mm. Yeah. I, I, Sam Stone, I think, um, um, hello in there, like Ian mentioned, those are, you know, songs everybody should know. Yeah. Sam Stone is a song that is as relevant today as it was when he wrote it, but for different reasons. Yeah, well, and then hello in there. I mean, how relevant is that now? It's there's such powerful songs. And I think honestly, without sounding mean, I think a lot of people just don't have the guts to listen to something like that. Cause it makes them uncomfortable. Okay. But how about you, Shane? What what are some songs that you you just go? How is this not? How is this not canon? Yeah, well, I'm trying to remember which one it was that Steve Goodman told him that if he just wrote a chorus for it, that it would have been a huge country hit. And Brian like stuck to his guns because he just felt like he, I guess, in his own words, he said when he finished a song, he just considered it done, and he he didn't want to rework anything ever. Um, and I was trying to remember what one that was. Maybe it'll come to me, but, um, you know, illegal smile, I guess, apparently, I mean, I always assumed that that one was about smoking weed, but I've read in that, uh, the cool thing about that anthology, which anybody listening to this, if they want just like a really good kind of deep dive into a lot of his stuff, this anthology, great days is a really good pick because it comes with this booklet and he writes like a paragraph or two about each song. But I read in there that he, um, that illegal smile, he was actually just writing it pretty innocently about when he was a kid, how he would just like think about things and sit there with a kind of a goofy smile on his face. And that then it kind of got, um, it got interpreted as, you know, being about getting high. And then he like played this show once this TV show where um, the whole set was like he, him and the interviewer. And then between them was this fake marijuana plant. And so he figured he had to play it on that show. And then never since then, it was like, it's kind of like a stoner anthem or something. Um, like between two ferns with Zach Galifianakis. Yeah. It's like between two ferns. It sounds like, <laughs> but instead it's like on either side of a weed plant or something. It's crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, man, I love, like, that song, Bruised Orange, um, Chain of Sorrow, I love that one, and Speed of the Sound of Loneliness, I feel like that's, I mean, you know, I, I think the thing about his songs is, like, they, he does have a ton of hits, you know, they are, they either other people made him hits, or just, like, you know, his following considers them immortal, but I also just don't think, you know, I don't think the packaging of John Prine is, like, one that gives itself to like global superstar arena status, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine seeing him in a huge venue. Like where did you, where did you end up seeing him? At the Ryman in Nashville. Oh, perfect. Yeah. 
what made Prine so revered by his peers? Because, like, again, it's not like you're going to hear a Prine song on country radio or um, even even like a, a from Seattle radio stations like the Mountain when the Mountain was still around, where it was more of a adult contemporary Americana. I don't remember hearing Prine on the mountain, even though I felt like that was probably his audience. Right. I would, I would agree. I, I'll take a stab at that. I being a songwriter, I think when you hear other people's songs, um, it's, it's easy to be judgmental. Um, but when you hear someone write something and you go, Oh my gosh. I wish I would have wrote that. Yeah. It's, it's humbling as a songwriter to, to come across a song that you, you feel that way about. And my guess is, is that his, his peers as a whole, those that knew him, because I'm sure there's still a lot of people out there today that don't have any idea who John Prine is because he didn't have that commercial um, level of notoriety. But the people that did know him, you know, it's, you listen to people who are songwriters and if you can say, man, I wish I would have wrote that. My guess is that a majority of the people that knew his work said that about so many of his songs that even he probably didn't even realize how high they held him on a pedestal because he was so, he was so remarkable, you know, and he, he made it seem easy. He made it seem easy. And then he pulled it off in a, you know, like Shane was saying in an un, a lot of his stuff is just so unproduced. It's just, you know, I think that I think that a lot of people try so hard to write songs, and then he just spat them out because he was just that guy. He was just, you know, he was the chosen one for for that genre. Right. I mean, on one hand, I feel like he is. I mean, he is super famous. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like um, I mean, it's not like he passed into obscurity. No. So, I mean, he is a huge star, you know, like if people, I would say like my extended family is a pretty good metric for uh, what a lot of, you know, people in the general public listen to. And they all, they were all texting me right away when he passed. And, uh, but then also on the other hand, I feel like maybe, you know, if we're talking about fame as like a, you know, whatever, like Taylor Swift or Michael Jackson level type thing. I, I guess it's just because of the, I would say that it's because of the production, like, you know, his songs just aren't produced in, in that way. Like they sound like folk or like, you know, like folk or honky tonk records. Um, but I, but I, I mean, I would say like, I, I mean, he's like, He's a stu- superstar for sure. You know, he's known all over the world. Yeah. Doesn't get much better than that. No. I mean, just just the fact that uh, Twitter exploded the other night with all of these tributes and, and whatnot, that uh, that speaks volumes. All right. Any, any parting shots? Well, if you want to hear a really, really, really good songwriter, <laughs> I mean... <Yeah. laughs> well, like Shane was saying, if you want to hear something that's really, really, really produced and polished and slick, you're probably going to be disappointed. But if you take the time and listen, you won't be because he wrote 
amazing material. Um, I can't wait to for this whole thing to clear up so I can get back on the road because I'm gonna. You, I've been writing down. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get some of these records and I can't wait to listen to them on long stretches of the highway so I can really digest them. Yeah, yeah, and then play them for people, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I feel like I really I liked what Ian said before about, um, you know, I think a lot of I think your average music listener when they listen to a song, the first thing they hear is how it sounds, like what the vocal sounds like, and what the rest of the peripheral music sounds like, you know, more so than what the songwriter is saying right away. And songwriters immediately, I think, listen to like the craft. So, you know, I think that's why he is so revered by, by lyricists, but, uh, and also just to kind of piggyback on what Ian was saying before, I feel like what makes him really special or what made songwriters revere him is makes observations without pretending to know the answers. Um, And sometimes people write a song where it's an observational song or they're talking about a personal experience and they're trying to like tell you how it is and you feel sort of preached at or like condescended to, but I feel as inviting you to like ponder something with him. Um, Like he doesn't pretend to know the answers and he's just saying to you like, isn't this a goofy thing? And let's sit down and think about it together and, you know, have a beer. Like there's that song, um, Far From Me, which has one of my favorite lyrics. It's it's like in the chorus. Um, I think it's uh isn't it funny the way uh isn't it funny the way a broken bottle man, what is it? Isn't it funny the way uh an old broken bottle looks just like a diamond ring? And then which is like an amazing line. And then he follows it up with, but it's far, far from me, you know, just like saying like, but I don't know. I mean, I don't understand the universe, which is so humble and beautiful. And, and even though I, I agree that his music is best for intimate spaces. I, I, I want to share this quick story um, that I was going to like put on Instagram, but then I figured I'd just kind of keep it to myself. But um <laughs> I was on the road a few years ago with this band field report and we played the Nelsonville festival in Ohio and um, prime was the last act of the festival and they had him play like on Sunday afternoon at like one or 2 PM or something to, to wrap it up. It was like a medium sized festival. I, there were, I would say there were between three and 5,000 people there. And on Sunday, everybody was standing in this field and you know, he's playing in broad daylight. It's a ton of people. It's the kind of situation that just always, no matter who you are, everybody's going to be talking and partying and, and whatever, you know, and maybe the front like 30 rows are going to be 100% tuned in. But um, I, it's not an exaggeration when I say that this entire field of like, you know, whatever, 4,000 people were stone silent just for the whole set. It was like everyone had come to church together. And the only thing that anyone was doing other than listening to the lyrics was, you know, crying. They were like, if you looked around, you you could see three or four people in your immediate vicinity, like wiping tears off their faces. And if somebody started talking to their neighbor, the audience around them would would shush them, you know, in the middle of a summer festival. Um, Crazy. Yeah. And I just remember really thinking the whole time, like, man, this is the closest I've ever felt to what, 
I've heard the experience of church is supposed to be like, you know, like as someone who grew up Catholic, that was the most religious I ever felt was just listening to him sing his songs. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. No matter what happens, like we're going, everyone in the world is going through this right now. Mm -hmm. And everyone in the world is listening to music because without it, we'd be lost. I mean, you, we have to stay home. You can't go to the grocery store. You can't go to work. You can't do that. But you can stay home and play records. Yep. Yep. Well, I hope uh, hope John is having that uh, that that cigarette that's nine miles nine long. Mile, yeah. Nine miles. <laughs> I'm gonna get some ginger ale. See that line right there? Kiss a girl on the tilt a whirl. I mean, really? So good. He just sneaks that in there. <laughs> yeah, I always anyway. like that line too because it's a, it's 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 almost like it's referring to a specific girl. That's what I mean. There's just lots of subtleties in in the lines, and that one always stuck out to me because it sounds like it's a specific girl that he remembers back from you know way they back. He never he, he never forgot her. Yep. You wish he would have kissed her, but he didn't. Yep. 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 Yeah. See, I totally agree. I totally get that, and I think we've all had that girl that we wish we would have kissed. He just puts it into perspective just with one line. You know, I'm going to get yeah, some ginger ale drink and I'm going to toast John Prime tonight. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Thanks for hosting this conversation. It's really nice to talk about, uh, talk about, you know, a, a really great songwriter and, and, um, and honor him by just waxing, uh, you know, talking about him. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Because I'm going to have a cocktail, vodka and ginger ale. Yeah, I'm going to smoke a cigarette that's nine miles long. I'm going to kiss that pretty girl on the tilt of work. Yeah, this old man is going to town. Yeah, this old man is going to town. All right, so we continue our admiration and appreciation of John Prine. I am joined by uh, one of our former guests, uh, Siri Unlin. Hi, Siri. Hi, how's it going? Good, good. And we're also joined by Luke Callen. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. So I've just kind of really been starting each of these these segments with just asking people, how did you how did you get turned on to John Prine? I was hearing John Prine most of my life. My dad is a fan as well as a handful of uncles who live out west in Montana. Um, so I, I think he was always sort of in the background of like family gatherings. But I didn't really start asking questions like as an adult until I was in college and I heard Bonnie Raitt's version of Angel from Montgomery, which just blew my socks off. And everyone was like, well, do you know who actually wrote that song? It was John Prine. So yeah, that was my introduction to his work. Yeah. How about you, Luke? Um, yeah, actually, uh, he, he was never a part of my childhood growing up or 
Um, no, no, no recollection from a kid. Um, but when I was in, I went to college, uh, in Madison, uh, I took this class, uh, called music and mayhem. It was about, um, music during the Vietnam era and our, uh, professors, um, would give us these download lists of music that would, uh, supplement the, the coursework. And I remember, um, they, they wouldn't talk on each individual song. Uh, it was just uh, up to us to sort of listen to them. And I just remember going through, uh, the playlist and, uh, kind of hearing this really high, high pitched twangy, uh, sounded like a kid singing, um, uh, this song about a, a heroin addict and, uh, and I, uh, probably played it maybe about a hundred times in the, in that week. And I just couldn't, I couldn't stop, uh, listening to it. I thought it was just such a profound song. And, uh, yeah, that, that was my first experience with John Prine. And then what was that song called? And Sam I assume Stone. you're talking about hello in there, right? No, uh, Sam Stone, Sam Stone. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, yeah, Sam Stone, uh, a Vietnam veteran uh, that came home, and uh, I don't. It's not Sam Stone. I don't believe is an actual person, but uh, John says it's sort of this conglomerate of um, a lot of his friends and also people he served with uh, during the Vietnam War. Yeah, I guess because I guess hello in there is about a Korean War veteran, right? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure uh, about Hello in there, but I do. Yeah, I do know the tune. And um, yeah, yeah. So so which record would you would you consider if you had to be stranded on a desert island and they said you can have one prime record? Which one would that be? Bruised Orange. <laughs> that seems to be the consensus. Yeah. Oh, good. That I mean, I mean the, Tree Bruce, of Forgiveness. Yeah, Tree I, of Forgiveness, the new one is out of control. I just I think there's something to be said about artists and their like lyrical work later on in their careers too. And I think in some ways it's like enriched by all the other work that you know and love. But Tree of Forgiveness I listened to nonstop when it came out and that was the record I put on right away um, when I heard that he had passed. And for some reason that it might just be because it's the freshest in my mind too, but I would say tree of forgiveness. Yeah. Tree of forgiveness is great. Yeah. It's, uh, it's such a beautiful record. And that's really what turned Wayne and I into John Prine fans was we actually, we actually had one of our guests who picked tree of forgiveness. Cause I, I knew Prine enough um but didn't really do a deep dive and then um tree of forgiveness was picked and you know we we typically will listen to the records you know three four or five times to prepare for the episode and both of us just fell in love with it and you know songs like summer's end and um when i get when i get to heaven i mean how how poignant was when I get to heaven, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I think a lot, I think 
I think a lot of tributes that happened after Prine's passing were, you know, talking about that cigarette, smoking that cigarette that's nine miles long. Nine miles long, yeah. (laughs) Kissing that pretty girl. All the cocktail, the (laughs) vodka and ginger ale, yeah. That's it. That's it. Do you guys cover any Prine songs in in any of your sets? If I do, not in any, um, like, shorter sort of ticketed venue sets um just like if it's like 30 40 minutes i typically don't do too many covers but if i'm if i'm sitting down at a a, a, in the corner of the bar i will definitely play um um we'll play long monday uh then i'll play um what are, why can't I think of the um, name of the tune? Where he gets frozen in the bathtub. You always sing that one. What is it called? Jeez. Well, this is just, uh, this is just, um, that's the way that the world goes round. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the name of the title, the name of the song, and it might actually not be the name of the song. That is it. That's the way the world that the world goes round. Yeah. yeah that's, I usually cover that. Uh, that's the way that the world goes round pretty consistently and in longer sets for sure. I find that um, people ask for Angel from Montgomery a lot, and it's not something that I would put into a set too often um, just because there's so many great versions of it. And I think like from, a musician standpoint it's sort of like you know this song has been done so well so many times like i don't need to go there but then there are people in the audience who maybe just look at you the right way and are like will you do angel from montgomery and it's like how could you say no to that it's like one of the best songs ever so i i end up singing that one most often and people love it like it's so cool to sing a song as an indie artist and hear the crowd singing along with you like that doesn't really happen to me very often but when i sing angel from montgomery it does and it's always like a really magical collective experience so i love singing it it's always those moments that i think are those magical moments i i had a opportunity a a couple months ago to see um uh, the musician who goes he goes by the moniker rocky bottom and uh, he he came to Orlando and played with a uh, local musician Luke Wagner, and they um, they ended up doing a cover of of Fish and Whistle, oh, and you know there were yeah, and there were a bunch of us in the audience who you know were singing along, and th- there's something magical about being able to sing those songs together that maybe aren't completely known to the world, but the people who know those songs, like we hold them in reverence. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. sacred. It really is sacred, like hymns almost, but for like the American experience, it's really special stuff. Which makes it pretty difficult to cover. And that's probably why (laughs) I choose not to, when there's a good amount of people listening, because you don't, there's just tunes that sometimes you just almost feel like you can't touch. But it's funny because the audience would probably love it yeah. if you did. But it's like this weird thing you get into your head and you wouldn't want to like, yeah, you wouldn't want to mess it up. No. Yeah. So why, why was Prine considered the songwriter songwriter? Since both of you are songwriters as well, what, what made Prine 
one of those those songwriters that everybody wanted to emulate? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it's I think it's really hard to describe because there is such a Prine way, John Prine way of writing a tune where it feels like if you even attempt to to use his phrases and use his similar words or ideas, like you just kind of fail. And he was somehow had this ability to kind of observe and write it down and it wasn't cheeky or corny. It was well sometimes it was, but it was aware enough. But it was yeah, you know what I mean? Like yeah. but it yeah. So I think he's just and the the whole songwriter songwriter is just like it's hard. I don't think I've I've had a among my musician friends, we there's always the you know the the pro and the anti Neil Young or Tom Petty or Bob Dylan or, you know, Bonnie Raitt or all these, you know, these people who are like, I could take it or leave it, but I don't know if I've ever had a conversation with somebody that has been like, no, I don't like John Prine. Like, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. Yeah. And I just, there's a lot of folks. Yeah. So. In my opinion, I think there's two aspects to John Prine's work that I just like, well, there's a lot I can't get over. It's so good. But two things that jump out in particular. The first is his ability to write from other people's perspective. Like I brought up Angel from Montgomery a second ago, and it's like maybe one of his best known songs. But like how many songwriters, men in that era were writing from the perspective of an old woman and did it well? Like it's just how he gets in to the mind of of a person is just like, I, I just want to like get down on my knees. Like, how do you do that, John? Like, how do you bring that much compassion and understanding to a person who's so different from you? And, and that's like masterful writing that's storytelling at its best. And I also, the secondly, I think that John Prine was a great song selector, if that makes sense. Like the other song he's probably most famous for is Clay Pigeons. And he didn't write that song. Blaze Foley did, but John Prine heard it and knew that it was an incredible story an incredible character, like incredible writing. And, And I think there's a handful of songs that he chose to cover that fit in seamlessly with his catalog, but souvenirs. Steve Goodman. Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah. It's like, you don't even realize he didn't write it until you dig a little bit, but he just had a knack for picking out incredible pieces of work by other songwriters, which I think is kind of what plays into him being the songwriter's songwriter because he was all about the craft itself. And I think that appeals to people who are obsessed with it as well. I don't know. Yeah. And and going back to what you were saying about um, uh, clay pigeons, I mean, he, made that song his own though right it's a great tune (laughs) i mean it's a great tune i mean it really is there's um it's really funny because i think the the austin city limits um video that kind of where where that the notoriety of that tune comes from um he introduces it with something like i usually don't sing other people's songs because i can't really sing my own that well 
but <laughs> there is, uh, I think, uh, he has a, maybe a little bass player and a little bass in it. And then like a harmonica, um, sort of in the background. And yeah, he, he definitely, definitely makes it his own tune. There's, there's no, that's the other thing about John Prine is, you know, you're listening to John Prine. (laughs) Not confusing at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is that part of the appeal? Considering that when you think of, when you think of some of the great songwriters, like uh, I just got done talking with uh, a couple guys who brought up Leonard Cohen and how distinct his, his voices and how distinct Bob Dylan's voice is. Like when you hear our John Prine song, you know, it's Prine, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So is, is that part of, part of the appeal as well that he's got a very distinct style? Yeah. I think it comes back to writer's voice always. And, um, and John Prine has such a way of phrasing in particular, that's like almost contagious. Like I know when I'm listening to a lot of John Prine, I'll like start writing songs with John Prine phrasings and I'm like, Oh, I can't even help it. You can't stop once you get in there. It's, it's so fun to like play with time and words the way that he does. And, um, and, but it's not pretentious. I don't think it's like forced at all. It's just, you feel like you're just talking to somebody. And then there's also like the, I feel like the the kind of true folkness of John Prine, which is um, person with guitar telling story. That's it, they're not singing perfectly. They're not. They have their own. Uh, they just have their own voice, and there's something um, that it, I think people gravitate towards, which is. It's interesting. It's, uh, I mean, if it, if, if he wasn't writing the way he was writing, maybe it'd be a different story, but I mean, there's something about, um, just being kind of like the people's songwriter, the people's singer, I guess. If you had to pick a couple songs that are kind of those defining, maybe we've already talked about, uh, you know, with angel from Montgomery and souvenirs, by the way, I just looked at, looked that up. It was co-written. By Prine mm-hmm. and Goodman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did do a yeah. lot of co-writing. Sweet. Yeah, so so they did that together. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- what would be some of the other ones where, like I, I brought up with uh, with another uh, couple guests where I was like, I don't understand how songs like Illegal Smile and Hello in There and Fish and Whistle are not just super big songs that everybody knows. So what are some of the other songs that are out there for you guys that you feel are like, I can't believe that those songs aren't canon. Yeah. I think, I mean, speed of the sound of loneliness is a a pretty amazing tune. Um, That one always kind of, I remember I hadn't really known that song and then Siri was doing a, yeah. set with Shane I Leonard. sang it with Shane Leonard <laughs> and I was like oh, okay I not heard this tune before and I think it's it's really interesting that uh that that kind of almost keeps happening with John Prine where yeah, there's so it, many there's just like this a uh, constant unveiling I mean Sam Stone will always kind of 
and maybe this gets to what we were uh, talking about, just like how can somebody write this and and the, these perspective pieces, um, like he has, he's, and maybe this isn't the right word, but like he feels like such a sentimental writer and he, he has this deep compassion. And Sam Stone is, you know, you could twist it a bunch of ways, could be a, a protest song, could be, um, a lot of things, but it's just like this story of a of a guy and his kids, and and it, you know, certainly there's all the politics around it, but it's just a it's just an amazing story. Yeah, I think that John has such a hilarious and delightful way of talking about love in certain moments too. Like some of my favorite John Prine lyrics are like like almost goofy. I'm thinking about Long Monday, which is one of my favorite songs of his. And Luke and I like often perform that around a campfire with our families. It's our go-to. Soul to soul, heart to heart, and cheek to cheek. But come on, baby, give me a kiss. It'll last all week. The thought of you leaving again brings me down. Promise of your sweet love brings me around. Gonna be a long Monday. Sitting all alone on a mountain by a river that has no end. It's gonna be a long Monday. Stuck like a tick of a clock that's come unwound again and again. But there's a lyric that is just maybe one of my favorite lyrics of all time. Soul to soul, heart to heart, and cheek to cheek. Come on, baby, give me a kiss that'll last all week. It's just so good. And like thinking about what does a kiss look like when it lasts for a week and just gives you shivers. And he puts words around it in, you know, 15 seconds. I think about yeah. the In Spite of Ourselves song, which is just like so delightful. You can't help but listen to that with a big grin on your face. And Absolutely. lying about the husband sniffing her undies. Like it's just, <laughs> you, it's, it's, yeah, you can't deny like the joy of life that's just between the lines of those lyrics. And writing about love is so hard. Like you, it's so difficult to do it in a way that makes people smile but not want to punch you in the face and he does it like effortlessly it seems and if we're going to talk about tunes that that summer's end song that Mm -hmm. off of uh, the tree of forgiveness is i think that is also a co-write with one of his buddies but that that's um uh it's really heart-wrenching i i the first time, I don't know if this makes sense, but like the first time I listened to it, I just like, I don't even know if I listened to the lyrics, but the melody was just, it just tugged at you. And then uh, second, third, fourth, five, you know, endless times through. And it's just like, I don't know. I can't, I, I can't get that one out of my, my head and out of, out of my heart, you know, um, in the last couple, couple, couple days. It's that, that's a great, great song. Yeah, absolutely. Should should we fade out of uh, this conversation with Summer's End? Yeah. <laughs> All right.
thanks thanks for joining me you guys i really appreciate it well yeah ben thanks for having us us. it's really nice to talk about it with you so thanks for asking the moon and stars hang out in bars just talking i still love that picture of us walking just like that old house we thought was haunted Summers in came faster than we wanted Come on home Come on home No, you don't have to be alone Come on home Come on home you don't have to be alone. Just come on home. So welcome back to the podcast, Roger Harvey. Thank you for having me. So why don't we why don't we start at the beginning? Why don't we start at when did you discover John Prine? So long ago. Um I'm not even, you know, sometimes uh, with certain musicians, there's like a path where I'm like, oh, yeah, listen to this person. I do think that it had something. I had heard a story um, about, and I could be completely off on this, but I had heard a story at some point. I was, I grew up listening to a lot of Bob Dylan and, and studying a lot of Bob Dylan. And I found a lot of music through... Bob Dylan's music, um, just things that I think there's always been this kind of like legacy of this peripheral that there was like, there's always been this like new Dylan um, kind of legacy that came out of it. And I had heard that Bob Dylan um, kind of, I think he sat in with John Prine at some point, um, just kind of in the shadows at a show and played harmonica with him. And I want to say that somehow through that information, I must have been 15 or 16 years old when I first heard John Prine for the first time. But I I would say if I, since I don't remember exactly, I would say that that might have been the link there. Um, And yeah, I think the self-titled record, especially, which I think many people kind of get drawn in by I, I listened to that record and I, I just thought it was so interesting and so different and so simple. I think that he just has this way of communicating uh, these truths about the world that I've never heard anyone um, be able to articulate quite as clearly as he has and also um, with as much humor. I've also been asking everybody. So, do you do you, do you cover John Prine? And I already know the answer to that for for you. What what are some of the Prine songs that you cover? When I was a teenager, I started playing Mexican Home. I've been playing that song live in so many different ways for so long. I like to tell the story of when I played it at my best friend's wedding. I was the best man. I was too young to know that the best man had to give a speech. But he had uh, he had asked me to play a song, and I completely bombed. Long story short, I completely bombed the speech. Still, if Mark, if you're listening, I apologize. Um, 
but I sat down with my guitar and I played Mexican home after that. And though it's a very heavy song, I kind of felt the, the whole mood in the room change a little bit. I've been playing that song for as long as I can remember. And I recently uh, started doing it more with the band when we were out on the road. And then we, uh, I've been, I mean, it's an interesting question now because all week, basically all I've been doing is playing John Prine songs. Um, and I've been learning new ones every, every day. And I think I, I keep saying that, um, before the news of his passing felt like a lot of what I was doing for a long time was kind of prime worship or at least in the spirit of John Prine. And I'm now just continuing that, although it has been ampl- amplified this week. I just today covered the beautiful song, um, the speed of the sound of loneliness. Um, but I've done uh, probably 20 different prime songs this week. the speed of the sound of loneliness Yeah, I've been running just to be on the Like I had a heart that burns with a fever And I got a worried and a jealous man Well, I can't love it last forever Getting left so far behind When the words come over you What in heaven's name have you done You've broken the speed of the sound of loneliness Yeah, I've been running just to be on the run Yeah, and before we started recording, we were talking about your cross country trip uh, coming back from LA, and uh, you and uh, Anika. Uh, did I say it right this time? You did. All right. That uh, that you that you guys did. Uh, you get you guys did uh, a number of videos along the way where you just played some songs in some cool places and. Um, you know, you you played Mexican Home in Tucson. Um, by the way, Two Coyotes, that was done in Joshua Tree. Dude, that was amazing. That Thank was really you. great. Um, and now I got to go check out your guys' uh, cover of In Spite of Ourselves because I'm in love with that song. Like, that is one of the greatest pieces of songwriting ever. And so I'm going to have to check that uh, cover you guys did. It's just beautiful. I guess since um, since I'm here, I will say that uh, probably by the time this episode comes out, we Anik and I recorded our first recording from quarantine. I'm not a professional by any means, but I have a little setup here, and we recorded a version of In Spite of Ourselves. We'll be out in the world by the time people hear this. And um, Perfect. I, yeah, it was a interesting, we recorded it the day that I heard the news and we just kind of were keeping, uh, well, the news of his illness, not of his passing. And so we did a remote recording and our 
pedal steel player Mike Slomo Browner did a joined in remotely from a distance at his house as well, and we're really proud of it. Cool. And you've you've also taken it one step further because you covered the Casey Musgrave song about burning one with John Prine as well. That's true. We were, uh, yeah, and it's been especially interesting lately because uh, a lot of people have been passing that song around for obvious reasons. I think that when you get news like we got, I think that it's almost like the meaning of everything becomes adapted. And I think that we're all experiencing that with a lot of John Prine songs. I know I've been singing certain songs and I'm, I'm thinking, how could he write this song about this time that we're all experiencing here? Um, but that's the beauty of a good song. And I've been playing that, that song a lot as well. I, I think we talked about it a little bit on the last the last time I was on, but um, yeah, Casey Musgraves wrote a beautiful song from my understanding. Uh, one of the first songs she wrote when she moved to Nashville called burn one with John Prine. And she never recorded a proper version of it that I know I've only learned it through some live videos, specifically one of her singing it to John on a cruise ship. And I, have been pretty much playing it ever since. Would you consider Mexican home your favorite prime song or are there some others that uh, have kind of elevated themselves over, over that song? Whereas uh, the, uh, the fact that that was one of the first ones that you learned about, uh, you know, for sentimental reasons, does that still hold the top spot for you? It's definitely one of my favorite, favorite prime songs. Although I feel like every time I put on a John Prine record that those favorites get switched around. Um, one that really hit me the night after we recorded our version of In Spite of Ourselves, we made some dinner and um, put on a record of his and the song Souvenirs, which has always been a super stand standout song to me, came on and I just stood still in the middle of the living room and just thought long and hard about what we're, what we're going through and, and was sending really good thoughts to, to John and his family. And I definitely was thinking when we recorded our version of in spite of ourselves, I was thinking this is going to be great because we're going to be able to release this when we get the good news that he's out of the hospital and, and he's back back with us and now it's well that that never came i keep calling it it was like the news that no that we all didn't want to come right yep yep absolutely what do you think made prine so revered by his peers was was prine not country enough for for folks or was he too country for other folks i mean what was it that really the 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 love that people have for prine are among people who are music aficionados is kind of how i view it i definitely agree with that from my perspective i think a lot of people would consider 
him to be the songwriter's songwriter. And um, the truth about his, uh, I hate to say it, but underappreciation is is more just about people's accessibility, I think, to his music than an actual uh, connection that could be made. I, I heard a statistic. I, shit, I kind of want to look it up, but I, I'm just going to say it. It might be wrong, but I saw a headline for an article yesterday, and it said, John Prine's songs have been streamed over 20 million times since his death. Wow. And I was saying to Anika, I just, I'd never seen, and obviously this is, it's bias because I'm a huge John Prine's fan. I like a lot of people that also like him and, um, you know, I have very close friends of mine who are more directly affected by this because they, they knew him. And, um, I was, I've been watching on the, I've never seen, what I was saying to Anika is I've never seen an outpouring of people playing someone's music. You know, like, it's like every time I open up any application on my phone, it's just these beautiful versions of people playing his songs. And I don't know if other people are experiencing that, but I just have never seen it happen to this level. I think that it is a testament to this complex simplicity that he carried with his songwriting. It, it's there is an element of it where you don't just want to listen; you want to sing along to the songs. And I think that towards the end of his life, he's started getting more recognition than he than he'd ever gotten. I read once that he said that again, I'm paraphrasing. Um, but he said that his music took a long time to catch on because his music was very family based. He described it as people would put his records on when they would when the whole family would be in the car together. And he started to, mm-hmm. as he got older, see whole families of people coming out to watch him play. And I don't know. I, I, I think there's, I, I, I think that truly understanding why um, he may have been underappreciated by too many um, in his lifetime is, is a hard thing to pinpoint. But my little sister wrote me and said the day after his passing and and said that she watched my live stream where I have been basically only playing Prine songs. Um, <laughs> and she said that she was, I had talked about the Tree of Forgiveness record when I was broadcasting it. And she said that she was going to go listen to that for the first time and listen to John Prine for the first time. And when I saw that headline that said, the 20 million songs have been streamed, you know, since his passing, I just thought it's tragic, but I guess it's also beautiful that I think one thing that we can be certain of is as long as there's people here, there's going to be people listening to John Prine's music and it's going to live for a long, long time. And there's just a whole 
new generation of people um, that are going to be able to learn like I did and like many people did from those songs. And um, I don't know, I just thought it was a really cool thing to hear my little, my youngest sister um, say that she was going to go listen to John Prine for the first time, because I think clearly if that statistic is true, a lot of people are having that experience. You know, I'm looking at Spotify right now. When I started trying to put this episode together, you know, four or five days ago, I looked at Spotify and Angel from Montgomery, for instance, had about 6 million listens. It's now at 11 million. Wild. Clay Pigeons was like at 11, I think, 11 or 12. It's at 18 million right now. So you, I don't think the 20 million is an exaggeration. I think that people are finally jumping on board and realizing, holy hell, this guy is fantastic. Yep. If there's one song that uh, you would want to fade out on this episode to, what, <laughs> which one would it be? We're going to go Mexican home? I think it's, for some reason, it's got to be a legal smile. Okay. Or that's the way that the world goes round because when I hear those songs and when I sing those songs, something about it makes me feel like we're all going to get through this. Well, I sat down in my closet with all my overalls trying to get away from all the ears inside my wall. I dreamed the police heard everything I thought. What then? Well, I went to court and the judge's name was Hoffman. Ah, but fortunately, I have the key to escape reality. And you may see me tonight with an illegal smile. It don't cost very much, but it lasts a long while. Won't you please tell the man I didn't kill anyone? trying to have me some fun well done hot dog fun my sister's a nun so i want to welcome a couple other previous guests so you might remember scott terry from our rem episode hi scott hello hello how are you doing doing all right and got anthony d'amato as well hi anthony Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I'm trying to remember, you did. we did a Neil Young record, right? We did uh, Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere. That's right. We've, we've done... So Neil is now our most, um, our most uh, recognized artist. We've now done three episodes, and um, I've had some conversations with another guest who is probably going to come back on... Um, and he's leaning towards picking another Neil Young record. So kind of, kind of crazy. Well, I mean, I feel like with, uh, with Neil Young, it's, it's kind of similar to, to Dylan in the sense that like those different albums might as well be by different artists. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that for sure. So how about for John Prine? Do you feel like his, his records are 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 that different or does he kind of have a sensibility about himself well i was just um i was just listening uh back to um 
to Bruised Orange, and uh, and I was reading a little bit about it today because you know I, I knew we were going to be having this this conversation. And and one of the things that struck me was looking at this record coming out in '78, which is the same year you have, uh, you know, Springsteen. Uh, as a New Jersey person, I have to relate everything back to Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> but I mean, that's the same year you have you have. Springsteen shifting more into like, you know, darkness on the edge of town, this kind of punk influence stuff and uh, Prine just digging back deeper into, you know, brilliant lyrical acoustic folk music and, yeah. and not kind of, you know, following, not, not to say that darkness on the edge of town is, is following a trend or something, but it felt like, you know, you take a record like bruised orange and it's kind of moving away from where the rest of the world is going. And, uh, and in that sense, I I feel like there is that kind of sensibility about him of just like, you know, the song is, is the core of everything. And if, if all you need is an acoustic guitar and your voice, all you need is an acoustic guitar and your voice. Yeah. I'm looking at uh, top records of 1978 right now on Google. So you you mentioned Darkness on the Edge of Town, but the other top records are um, More Songs About Buildings by Talking Heads, Mm -hmm. Atlandos de Amor by The Police, This Year's Model, Elvis Costello, uh, Are We Not Men by Devo, uh, (laughs) Parallel Lines by Blondie. So yeah, com- compare John Prine to all of those that I just mentioned. Oh, the Cars debut, <laughs> Van Halen's debut. Yeah, John Prine doesn't <laughs> doesn't fit in any of those categories of rock or you know pseudo punk or synth rock, whatever you want to call those bands that I just kind of threw out. So, and and is that why? he's revered by his peers is because of he just did his own thing. I mean, I, th- I think that he's, I think his stamina alone of, of just being able to be out there still doing it. And, you know, uh, it certainly draws reverence. I mean, along, I mean, the songs themselves are great. I mean, that first record, the seven, the record from 71, that's got Sam stone and angel from Montgomery. And, um, uh, What's the, like, you know, your flag decal won't get you into heaven anymore. Uh, I mean, there's like so many great, I mean, he's a, he's an artist. I think that definitely he, he has his own sound, his own thing. And he stayed, yeah, he definitely stayed true to that enough that once, so when I, when I go back and I listen to that stuff, it's, it's, it's the kind of music I don't ever find myself listening to a John Prine record when I put it on, um, you know, where I'm cherry picking just to listen to one song, you know, I, yeah. you know, it's, it, it's very much like, Oh, I, I, I'm in the mood. I would say, honestly, he's one of those few guys that I know. Uh, I know the albums and I, but I couldn't pull out the names of the songs on, and I wouldn't, you know, I'd have to look and go, Oh yeah, of course that's the title of this song that I, you know, but it's a, it's a, it's a different thing. I just, I, I think his, he creates a mood for me personally in the same way that like, Oh, I want to put on, I'm feeling like in a Hank Williams mood or a Hank Williams, you know, or a, uh, I don't know. Uh, like you, you want to hear what he got through here. <laughs> like he's, he's got a specific itch that he scratches for me personally. And, um, you know, my experience when I, I got to, I had the good fortune of getting to 
rub shoulders with him on a music festival a few years back and uh, one with Casey Musgraves. And I got to see him, the two of them perform together. I got to see, uh, I, I was so impressed seeing, you know, him come out and he wound up doing stuff with Alone Bellow. He did stuff with Brandy Carlisle. I mean, everybody wanted to do something with John. And I just thought it was like, that was for me. Like I, I knew him and I knew of him though. My parents didn't listen to John Prine. Um, when I was younger, one of my early, uh, one of my early band member, my old drummer, Mark Stepro, his family did, and he loved him and listened to him a lot. And the flag decal song really hit me and, uh, you know, inspired a song that I wrote years back called us bumper sticker, which was, uh, you know, tipping the cap to, to John. And so I knew him, I thought I knew him. And then to see the way everybody, all these other artists were just foaming at the mouth to just to, you know, just to get to perform or just to, just to watch anything. It was just really remarkable. Um, he, uh, yeah, he, he definitely felt like royalty for the first time, you know, that I, that I found myself like, Oh my gosh, like this guy, like I, to, you know, I wouldn't, I don't even know. I, I thought I knew what I was going to say to him, but now I don't. And now I'm just, I just said, Hey John, <laughs> you know, like, and that's about all I can get out, you know? Yeah. Um, Scott, I wonder, I'm interested to hear your perspective on this because for me, one of, one of the things that uh, uh, appeals to me as a songwriter about him is listening to his music makes me want to write. Oh yeah. Like, Sometimes I have a hard time making it all the way through a record because I put it on pause partway through because I got to go pick up a guitar and write because <laughs> the the songs are like the the thing that appeals to me. And, and I wonder if this is the case for a lot of those other artists you mentioned who are so eager to, to play with them is that you listen to his songs and the on the surface, they're, they're simple they're they're easy to hear everything that's happening the architecture of them is really uh bare and you can you can piece it apart there's no like mystery to it other than like oh man he came up with that you know he had that idea he had right. that turn of phrase and it just makes you want to be like well okay i i know those chords i know those finger picking patterns i want to go write i want to go try to write something like this i want to write something that means as much as this means yeah. and and to me as a, as a songwriter that's like my favorite artists are the ones that make it seem possible to write great songs if that makes sense no i i i i think so and i guess you know if, if, how i i see that too is i find him to be such a funny charming lyricist and like yeah. his, his stories for me really just they're so rich and he's a guy, um, you know, like I think the songwriter and everybody, you know, you want to write that song that like touches people and you say, Hey, I want, I just want one of my songs to connect with everybody. And so you sometimes, I think that one of the pitfalls of, of trying that or young songwriting is trying to come up with images or things that are, you know, worldly and that it, everybody can relate to, or so you think, and then you wind up having a very, very vanilla song with images mm -hmm. that are kind of, you know, like, oh, you know, that's sort of, I guess I didn't actually give anything. And I think that there's something about his his honesty and the way he wrote. And he was 
so self-deprecating as a lyricist. I mean, he, he really, like he threw himself under the bus before he threw anybody else, you know? And, and I loved the way he wrote like that way. It was charming. And it, and it always made it every time I listened to his stuff, it, like you said, like I, I find myself thinking like, you get trying to get into a John Prine type of headspace where you can, you know, think lyrically about like, well, you know, like I only a moment ago, I would have thought mentioning the name of this town would be too uh, on the nose or too, or, 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 or ir- irrelevant. And then, you know, when you, you know, you hear like a song like paradise, one of his biggest songs and he wrote it for his dad about the town they grew up in. Like, you know, I never been to Muhlenberg County, but I, I want to go. You know, and at the same time, it's like how brilliant to write this song about calling it paradise. And then the line, you know, sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's coal train has hauled it away. Like, yeah. so, so American. You're just like, oh, my God, that's so awesome. And I feel like a lot of the like the kind of rough, like the harder, like taking it to New Jersey and Springsteen for a second. But like his songwriting sensibilities that like blue collar and it's like are all over prime stuff and i just you know i'm such a sucker for all of those things i'm a sucker for for real specifics and lyrics and you know mm-hmm. you know and, and and he's one of those guys who can he's right he writes songs about you know when he dies and whether it's like you know when i go to heaven or uh you know like one of my favorites is please don't bury me you know i always loved that one you know having lyrics like um what does he say? Like give my stomach to Milwaukee if they run out of beer. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then like something so silly and like give my, you know, put my socks in a cedar box just to get him out of here, you know? But so he's got those like silly, it's a joke. It's lighthearted. It's funny. And then he's, you know, give my mouth or send my mouth way down South and kiss my ass goodbye, you know? And then, but that chorus, please don't bury me in the cold, cold ground. Uh, rather have them cut me up and pass them, pass me all around. You know, throw my brain in a hurricane. Uh, I mean, it's just like, what wicked images. So cool. Put on my slippers. Walked in the kitchen and died. And oh, what a feeling when my soul went through the ceiling. And on up into heaven I did ride. When I got there, they did say, John, it happened this way. You slipped upon the floor and hit your head And all the angels say just before you passed away These were the very last words that you said Please don't bury me down in the cold, cold ground No, I'm gonna have them cut me up and pass me all around For my brain in a hurricane and the blind can have my eyes and the incidentally the the album cover of sweet revenge of him like sitting in that convertible he's smoking he's got sunglasses on he's got cowboy boots dead like blue jeans and like a denim snap shirt he's literally the coolest person on the planet for me (laughs) i'm like nobody can wear the jeans and the shirt better and you know um, but what I was going to say before I got, because I know because we can talk forever, but I, I had to say, because uh, I was curious also, Anthony, if you feel this way, because when I was saying like, and that Hank Williams, it puts me in like a mood or whatever. I was, I meant to also say like, he's got two sides of himself because his, his later stuff is, is very different. Um, but his voice, you know, like 
I love a man that performed through like personal, you know, physical, um, you know, battles that once had, you know, like, like to hear his voice, he, he, he lived through two cancers. He had surgery on his neck. You know, he, he talks, you know, he, he, by the end he was, you know, talking different and his singing wasn't much different than his talking, you know, but he still to hear him do angel from Montgomery, like six months ago to hearing the original version, it's they're like so uniquely different and beautiful in the same way. You know, like they're like, mm-hmm. cause he, his voice has just got so much character that can't be, it's not, it's not something that can be contrived. I think contrived. I never got to see him live, which is, uh, a huge bummer, but, but yeah, I, I would have liked to, to see that, that evolution. I remember him saying, uh, <laughs> went, cause there were all these young bands on this music festival and everybody had, you know, every, every player, every instrument, everything that was, there was not much for, uh, there was not much wanting anybody else out there. And John came up and he had a very small band and he said, he said, man, and he like looked out of the crowd and he's like, look at all you, he's like so much firepower out there. He's like, it's an arms race for volume on this music festival. You know, <laughs> he was like just trying. And that's the way he said it, like an arms race to the, for volume on this music festival, like that he, he felt like it's just me and I got a stool and I'm sitting and doing my thing. And But yeah, he was just, it just makes everybody who's sitting there with all that, all the firepower they brought, they're like, man, this guy. So, you know, he's got that Chris Christopherson, and I know that they were friends, um, you know, the, the, but he has that same kind of a thing that I f- especially feel like his later music, you know, the, you know, like records like The Missing Years where, you know, his voice has got more character and it's, it's, it's almost story. It's just storytelling, you know, in the songs. Yeah. Anthony, you, br- you brought up one thing that every other person that I've talked to has said, and I think. Scott, you kind of implied it as well, but everybody has said Prine, all of his songs are very simplistic, yet also complex at the same time. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's that, it's that idea of you can, you can listen to the track and understand what's going on. You can listen to it and you can pick out like what the chord progression he's playing is. You can figure out how he's picking it. Um, you can, you know, the, the melodies aren't, uh, he's not doing vocal acrobatics or anything. You listen to it and it's, and it's a totally attainable song in terms of uh, uh, performance and structure and all that kind of stuff. And then you go to try to write something like it and you're just like, <laughs> you know, you realize it's a completely unattainable song. It's, uh, and, right. and there's, you know, there's, there's a, a few writers to me who, who are like that out there, but, but just this idea of, I don't know. I, I as a, someone who performs solo a lot, you know, I'm always thinking of like, how can I write a song? That's just me and a guitar that connects and is, is meaningful and I find so often that I, I do that, and in the process of doing that, I start to get pulled into this sense of like, oh, I've got to layer it up. It's got to have this. It's got to yeah. have that, and that's what's going to make it, you know, cool and, and draw people in. And uh, and he just was not afraid 
to to keep it to the absolute bare minimum and not try to hide any of the structure elements. It's all out there in the open. And it's almost just like daring you to like take these same basic building blocks and see what you can come up with, you know, because it's not going to be as good as this. Right. And I would almost say, and I would almost say as he got older, I, I feel like he was more and more brave with that. Like just letting there be more space, less interested in being like, oh, we've got other musicians to come in and really doll it up or make something else, you know. I mean, and again, I don't know all of his work, so somebody who could be listening could be like, what are you, crazy? That's totally not true. But my experience, at least, and seeing you know, seeing him play, and yeah, it seemed like the space was, uh, yeah, it, it, that was as important as, as, as all the other stuff, you know. Well, you compare it to like someone, and again, not, not to pit, artists against each other because because they're both brilliant in in their own ways but you look at at somebody like leonard cohen who i was just thinking about yes well like think about how he he as he got older he got more and more into like the synthesizers and and filling all of the space and exploring new technology or at least what was new technology in the 80s and you know I, i don't feel and again you know feel feel free to correct me if i'm if i'm missing uh, a, a huge synthesizer uh, <laughs> phase of, of the John Prine catalog. But, but just that idea of, of it felt like he uh, w- was always content to rely on, um, you know, those, those essential building blocks of, of any song, just, you know, the guitar and the lyrics and he didn't need to, um, you know, get in quotes weird with it to make it seem more than it was. Sure. No, I, yeah. I, com- I, I very, very much agree. And, and like what you said, cause I, I, again, I think about Leonard Cohen with him a lot just because they both had like the voice thing, mm-hmm. you know, um, Leonard Cohen's old stuff was certainly more, more, uh, easy to sing along with. And then, it, but I still love the, the record, the future. It's one of my favorite oh, yeah. records That's you know, where it's, yeah. The, uh, what is it? Uh, you know, like baby, I've been. What is it? Waiting for a miracle and all that stuff. You know, it's uh, so, isn't Avalanche on that record too? Uh, I'm. It may. It may not be. I can't there's, remember. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets through. Is that song? I feel like that, I feel like right. that's. I feel. I don't know if that's on that record. It might be. That oh, okay. Might be after, but that yeah, that one had. Um, oh shoot. Uh, but yeah, like I'm trying to think. It's also had the. Uh, Closing time was on that record. Um, he had some strange stuff, but yeah, he definitely got dark. That was like the Natural Born Killers record, the one that like they pulled a couple songs from that record and used it for his uh, um, or for their soundtrack. Which when I it was my first time, kind of like re or hearing new Leonard Cohen, and I was like, whoa, um, when I was a kid. But but uh, I feel like that that's something, yeah, that John Prine never did, or he didn't go in that way if anything he i think about uh you guys ever listen to that record he did with mac wiseman did you no. man no. you should go listen to it it's like the two of them did a record i, I want to say it's like 15 years old maybe 10 to 15 years old somewhere in that it came out yeah some i don't quote me on that but but it's this like 
two two thousand seven standard songs for average people. Yeah. Oh, you feel dude? That's an amazing album, and it's so traditional. There's this song called uh, I think it's called Cape Cod. I think it's just called Cape Cod. Old Cape and, Cod. Old Cape Cod, and it's yeah. so. It's got almost like a, you know, it's not a Sinatra. I'm not. I wish I knew. I wish I was more uh, learned in the like old Rat Pack era you know, catalog of music. I don't know very much this, but it, but it gives me that Sinatra E from another era sound. And so like when I think of John Prine, I always think of like a guy who he didn't need much to begin with. And he's always kind of stayed of what, you know, in that place where it just always feels more pure, you know, it, it, it's, he's like the guy that you're like, he, when he, when he's on Prairie home companion, you're like, man, that's one I like, what am I doing? I'm doing everything wrong. This guy's got it all. <laughs> you know what I mean? This guy's got it all figured out. I need to, I need to stop eating meat. I need to change whatever I'm doing. Like I gotta, I gotta make some changes in my life because he's got it figured out. And like, I don't know why I've been straying off and trying to mess with so much stuff. Cause he, yeah, he's, it was just, it, he sounds like he's had it all figured out. I'm sure he would disagree with that if we, he was here, but uh, yeah, that's, but I think that's what makes it so great. The, the, Leonard Cohen's song I was thinking of was uh, Anthem, not Avalanche. Okay. On on the future. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was that great record. Not to get sidetracked, but that's great. <laughs> yeah, we we could do a whole other episode on Leonard Cohen. So that's another one that I uh came very late to the party for, but um yeah. So I want to go back to what you were saying, Scott, a little bit earlier about the you know, the the use of imagery in a lot of primes where it was you take a certain certain aspect or certain um image and then you just kind of craft a whole uh whole song around that and he was he was a a master when it came came to that but i'm i'm assuming that you know you've you've kind of employed a little bit of that with your own songwriting. Cause you, you know, you can take a image like finger in the air and, and craft a whole song around that, or, <laughs> um, you know, yeah. the, the image, the imagery, the one thing that really struck me on your last album, the imagery of like leaving you high and dry, that totally is, has a, a cool image about it. I've got a feeling it hurts. Mm. Very cool image about that. So, when I think of some of the great songwriters, they're using those kind of images and creating an entire song around that. And is that something that you learn from Prine or who were some of your other songwriting uh, heroes that uh, helped you kind of figure out how to put a song together? Um, I think, uh, I mean, I, 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 Certainly love John Prine. And I guess I, I would definitely say he he's someone that I've listened to the most in my life in the last 10 years. You know, I, I would say so early on, I can't say that I was like, you know, I was a, a Prine, a Prine listener um, or about, I would say 15 years, I guess about 15 years ago. Um, but, um, you know, like I, I was always a big Simon and Garfunkel or Paul Simon fan and um love Tom Waits. I, I like anybody that can tell a story, you know, great, great storytellers in their songs. And, and again, so it, it's always about details, you know, it's, um, and, and, uh, I, I guess 
yeah, because I don't want I don't want to turn I don't want to turn this conversation. Believe me, I can start talking about lyric or other lyric stuff and uh, all day long. I, but but how I would associate that with like John Prine, like it's funny. Okay, because Anthony's on this call or on this on this uh, podcast here with us, so I'm gonna. I'm, I was going to give Anthony some some love too. Oh no no! But well, I, what, what I was well, I was if you don't mind, I was going to say like Anthony and I, we both had the pleasure of doing a um, a like a songwriters in the round. Uh, I don't know, probably about how long ago is that? It was probably about six months ago. Um, in some place along the shore in New Jersey, uh, and it was great. So we got to sit and we just played some songs with some other artists and stuff. And one of these songs, there was one song that I I played called no place to go, but down. And, uh, and Anthony was like, that's a good one. Cause we always talk about like, we should, we should record that. We should not mess around, you know, try to try to see what we can, what we can make out of these, some of these songs that we've been writing. And he was like, that's a good one. And Anthony, that's a total, like that one more than most songs I've written, I would say, that, that's that's me channeling John Prime, and I don't know if it was, I was just, if I had Common Sense or Sweet Revenge and the eight track player like playing like crazy, but like uh, yeah, because there's and there's there's lines in that song that you know there's something comical and lighthearted about saying you know like sort of pointing out your own misery and you know and and there's uh, yeah so I, I and I do so I think I think sometimes. I think we naturally you you naturally find yourself channeling someone's persona like this persona that you're romantic about whether it be you know whatever whatever songwriting giant you might say oh I love this guy I love this per- or this person they're they're writing and you know you some, sometimes it's easier to almost try to look at look at it through their eyes than your own you know mm-hmm. and 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 that, so that's a song that I would definitely say I was definitely trying to wear some John Prime glasses you know looking looking at the world and um and i think the song's better for it (laughs) you know um yeah juicy stories (laughs) so so anthony what what would you what would you consider your favorite prine song you know um it's uh, like you i i came to prine a lot later in life. And, and I would say my, you know, my favorite song is, is the one that introduced me to him in the first place. And, and I feel like, uh, uh, Scott and, and Ben, you, you would probably have a similar experience where it's like, when you think back with classic artists or, or your favorite bands, like whatever the thing that you got introduced to first and kind of sold you on it just yeah. stays lodged in your heart as like, well, this is the best. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm sure there's, there's plenty of, of folks out there who would uh, disagree, but th- the way that I got introduced to Prine and the song that sticks with me is, is that's the way the world goes round because I was, um, I got invited to come do this uh, show with uh, the actor, uh, John Gallagher Jr. Um, who is, fantastic in TV and movies and Broadway and stuff. Uh, he invited me to, to come play. He was doing a, a birthday show and it was all prime covers um, because he like was just absolutely raised on that. And it, you should probably talk to Johnny actually for this. He, he'd be a good one. <laughs> um, but man, he, he, you know, he, he knows it inside and out. And, and to be honest, I, I knew the, the classics. I knew what I'd, you know, 
what, what everybody just knows from being alive and being involved in music and you encounter it. Right. But, uh, but he asked me if I would do that's the way the world goes around. And I had not heard that song before. And I went and I listened to it and it was just one of those things where, where you're like, like I was saying before, we were like, okay, I'm going to learn this song. But before I learn this song, I need to stop this song partway through because I need to go start writing my own songs. Um, because there's just these, these lines in it. Like, you know, I, I, I was looking at the lyrics before we talked and, and just reminiscing about the way it hit me. And there's this line in there where he's, he's talking about being in the tub and he describes himself as naked as the eyes of a clown. Hmm. And if that's not just the best goddamn piece of writing, <laughs> uh, you know, what do you do with that? Uh, so as a songwriter, that's, that still just holds that place in my heart of being the one that like, it, it was, it was how I came to realize that, um, you know, there are some people that some artists out there and, and it's not just in music, it's, you know, actors and directors and stuff too, that you inherently understand are the classics, but maybe you haven't actually dug into it and figured out why it's a classic. And that, that was a song for me where I was like, Oh, okay. I understand why John Prine is a classic. I understand why he's my favorite songwriter's favorite songwriter. Um, so I don't know that, that song is, is one that will always kind of, um, hold that, that place for me of, of being like this key that kind of unlocked, uh, a lot of other things for me. I was sitting in the bathtub counting my toes when the radiator broke. Water all froze, I got stuck in the ice without my clothes, naked as the eyes of a clown. I was crying ice cubes, hoping I'd croak when the sun came through the window. The ice all broke, I stood up and laughed, thought it was a joke, that's the way that the world goes round. That's the way that the world goes round, you're one day, the next you're down, it's a happening at your water, you think you're gonna drown, that's the way that the world goes round. I will say the best part of the fact that I came late to the John Prine appreciation is now I get to go back and listen to albums that I'm not super familiar with. Um, like as soon as I was introduced to tree of forgiveness, I'm like, I'm going to go back to the roots. I'm going to go back and listen to that first record. I'm going to go listen to bruised orange. Um, but I'm still, I'm still getting turned on to prime songs that I'm just like, how is this not canon? Like, like this week, uh, I started listening to Lost Dogs and Mixed Blessings, and I'm absolutely in love with Lake Marie. Like, I have listened to that song, no lie, I've probably listened to that song at least 25 times this week. And um, and there's still a bunch of albums that I have not listened to that I get to I get to go discover. Um, so that's, I guess that's that's one of those blessings, right? Yeah, well, sure. and I think that one of the the funny things that for me was that for the longest time, my uh, my knowledge or understanding of of the Prime catalog 
came from covers. Um, you know, I remember, I think Bonnie Vare put out a John Prine cover. I think Josh yeah. Ritter did John Prine. I was touring with American Aquarium and they were playing Sweet Revenge every night in their set. So all these songwriters that I really looked up to were out there covering Prine. So I'd hear these songs be like, man, that's a great song. And like, oh, you know, that's a, yeah, that's a John Prine song. And that just kind of kept happening over and over again. And it's one of those things where it's like at a certain point too, where uh, if enough people you look up to tell you they look up to this other person, it's like, all right, probably time to, probably time to put in the effort and, and get into that catalog. So, so on that note, so with him being the songwriter songwriter, why, why is it that it's, I feel like it's taken until his passing for people to go, holy crap, he was fantastic. Well, I don't know. I mean, I would disagree with that. I would say in certain circles, people have been saying he's fantastic for a really long time. Well, <laughs> yeah, you can you tell know. I'm not a songwriter. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, again, yeah, like I, I, I think that like, I would also say, I, I guess, you know, everything comes around, you know, what is, uh, Willie Nelson said, ultimately, you know, if you stick around, like ultimately the world's got to get around to guys like us. Uh, that was like one of his lines. And I feel like in John Prine's case, I feel like that's sort of true. And, and Anthony, you can chime in here if you agree that like the, you know, the Nashvilleian, like that country, the country thing, the more authentic country, that's certainly come a little more into fashion in the last few years. And, 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 and at the same time, people, people trying to create new music, sort of using some, some of that stuff as a foundation. So I feel like, I feel like John Prine has been quiet, you know, maybe, maybe it's been quiet on like a, you know, worldwide, but I think a lot of people have been, uh, like he's one of the good ones that people are like always going to. There's plenty of plenty of fruit on his tree to pull from. Um, which, by the way, incidentally, I forgot my biggest one. I, um, I have a song called "My Name Is Death," and um, probably there is there is no other song that I've ever written more more uh, more through the lens of John Prine than that song that that I wrote. But, uh, because that, I can see that. I mean, because yeah, and, and, totally and, that. and that's, uh, you know, tipping the cap to Jesus, the missing years, you know, that I don't know if you, you guys familiar with the missing years? No, no. Another, another one that I still need to listen. Yeah. To. It's a great, it's a, it's a, and again, like I, you know, it's a, it's got like lyrically, if you, if you like looked it up, it's long. It's, he just kind of talks about what Jesus did when like if, in these missing years and, uh, it's all out of time. It doesn't make sense. He talks about when he was 13, he went to a movie and saw rebel without a cause and just, uh, you know, take some, taking pills with like a Coca-Cola and, you know, like just like cut his hair, went to Rome, like all sorts of cool, just really, just really neat to sort of like make Jesus sound like a regular old guy trying to figure stuff out, screwing stuff up. He wrote a, he had a, it was like, um, discovered the Beatles recorded with the stones once he even opened up a, a three-way package in Southern California for old George Jones, you know, and he just, yeah. So, you know, I know that I made a stones reference in my, <laughs> in my name is death. And that was like completely because, uh, yeah, he just has a, com- a comic way of looking at, you know, 
life in a sort of strange way. The chorus of that song still to this day, I and I would have to look at, let me see, hold on, because I can pull it up. But like the chorus, so he's talking all about Jesus and his story and his travels and uh, like, but then the chorus of the song is Charlie bought some popcorn, Billy bought a car, someone almost bought the farm, but they didn't get that far. Things shut down at midnight, at least around here they do, because we all reside down the block inside 23 Skidoo. And it's like, and it's one of those things where you're like, okay. And it's always, always kind of wraps around to that chorus. And it doesn't make a ton of sense to me, uh, but that's okay. You know, um, again, it's, he's, he's that, he's that guy. Maybe it'll kick in one day and I'll go, oh man, that all makes total sense to me now. And yeah, which wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> but uh um i and uh, forgive me forgive me for uh going down the rabbit hole there with that but uh no i, I would i would ag- agree with what you were saying of it, it felt like certainly over the last um several years he's he's been his own kind of royalty yeah in the uh in that, the post americana country well world but i i I'd, it, it maybe it, if your question is is more like, you know, why does it take his uh, passing to elicit twenty million streams on on Spotify? Was, was that kind of the the question of, of how is he yeah. not more, you know? Uh, and I don't I don't know the answer to that. If, if other than to say, maybe maybe it has to do with with the same reason that I still never got around to seeing him live, which was that he was out there doing it and just working every day and touring heavily. And you, maybe you people, including myself, take that for granted as like, yeah, it's always going to be around. I'll catch him next time. I was supposed right. to do a, a festival. I was supposed to be on a bill with him for a, a festival this summer. And, uh, and there was terrible weather and it, and it got, canceled and i was like bummed but i was like you know what there's going to be other opportunities you know i will see him live next time he comes through town i will get to play on a festival with him whenever and and yeah i I think people have a uh, myself included have a tendency to sort of you know take stuff for for granted just because it's still there you know yeah yeah, you I certainly always take it, take take things for granted, and you know, I, I, when when they're here. I mean, uh, took it took me up until last year to see Willie Nelson for the very first time, and I, I had wanted to see him my whole life. But we're always busy. Musicians are always busy. It's hard. It's always hard to. You're like, oh, well, you didn't see it. You didn't see them when they came to town. You're like, no, because I was out of town doing my own show. Right. Um, you know. I went to that Paul Simon farewell show in uh in queens and in, in uh in oh, flushing so and it was, well i just i'd never seen them and i was like if this is a farewell show there's not going to be another op- and and yeah. and you get there and it's just a sea of thousands and thousands and thousands of people right. whereas if that had not been announced as a farewell show if it was just like you know another paul simon show there would have been a lot of people but it, right. it wouldn't have been the the pandemonium it's true. that it was and and you know that that scarcity uh, creates a sense of urgency. And I feel like in, in the case of Prine, 
you didn't feel that scarcity because he was still writing great songs. He was still yeah. playing all these shows. He was still touring all the time. And I still and, think and he it, was young. I mean, he was 73, yeah. you know, which is older, but it's, it's, it's not these days. It's not that old, you know? Um, yeah. He just, you, when you were just telling talking about that, Anthony, you reminded me of, of when we were both, when we both saw Brian Wilson earlier this year. Yes. That, that there, there, we felt, we both felt that sense of urgency of like, I don't know, maybe this might be it. So we should go, you know, and we did. And he, I remember my parents taking me to see Gordon Lightfoot like 20 years ago because they're like, this might be the last time. Mm-hmm. And he just put out another album. Like he's, right. he's 80 something and he's still doing it and still going. So yeah, you, you know, yeah. Uh, it's, it's so hard to, it's so hard to, to, you know, predict when is the time that you have to like, nope, I got to put my foot down. I got to go right. see the show because there might not be another time. And it, and it feels almost like uh, it, it feels, uh, I'm trying to think of, of the word I want to say. It feels wrong in some ways to go to a show just because you're like, well, maybe this is the last time. You right. don't want to go Terrible. into it with that energy or that mentality. Right. But at the same time, you know, I regret not not getting to a prime show when I had the chance because I thought there would always be another chance to do it, you know? Right. He did this festival. John Prine did this festival. Um, what I, I saw the festival that we were on together was Kayamo um, a few years back. But he, he oh. wound up being so – like he's so beloved in the Kayamo community. Um, he wound up having just this past year – and it was going to continue – but he pulled off like he had his own headlining music festival in Costa Rica, like full on destination at a resort. Like it's, it was like a five day event. Um, like, you know, I, I, I mean, and he was, he already had it planned for, for this year, like for, for the, like, cause it was successful. So it was going to be, yeah, like it was, you know, they were going to have another one. I don't know. They still might do it without him. I'm not sure, but like, and I and I know like as a lot of the heavy, a lot of the heavy dudes um, that are in that Kayama world were a part of that festival, and that was you know six months ago, maybe I think if that it was in November when they when that festival happened. So uh, you know, six months ago, this guy is not just being like, oh yeah, he's still performing here and there. I mean, it's like. They've got a whole music festival surrounding this guy. Right. You know, that's how revered he is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So parting shots. I'd like to hear Scott's either, either favorite song or favorite album. Like, you know, for, Mm. for those of us who, who came to prime late and are still, uh, you know, working our way through the full catalog. Uh, is there is there a hidden gem or it doesn't even have to be a gem but but point me towards something that i you don't think i would would know already i know you mentioned um i I would definitely yeah i definitely would listen to the missing years and i I would listen to old kate cod that that john prine and mac wiseman record it's it's so clean you know it's got that thing about it where you're like I, I, it's just from another time. It feels like it's from another time. You know, it's got that like men, 
I don't know. I just, I don't know. I, it's, uh, what's, what's the word? I'm I'm usually pretty good at finding the words for this, but like, it's just, (laughs) it's just comes off really clean and, Mm -hmm. um, it's just a lovely album. And it makes you think like, this is a record that my grandparents would have enjoyed. This is a record that I think, you know, uh, children could enjoy. It's just like really well-crafted, really pretty. Um, and it's, and so it's got some production on there that you wouldn't hear in a normal John Prine record. And I think that that's why I like it. I think I like it that it, you know, you're hearing some, um, just like the the backup singers and some of the stuff, it's just a really neat record. I think it's a really fun, live, great record to to, to listen to. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my my personal stuff. Another another thing that always kills me is I, I always forget. I take it for granted. I, I think it's awesome when you can be reminded of like, wow, like you know, Angel from Montgomery is one of his biggest songs, and it's it is a gorgeous song. I get the I have a weird feeling because that was one of the first songs I heard from him. Uh, Cause I got his first record, you know, and I, you know, so when you're looking at a record that was, you're listening to a record 35 years after it was made, you know, and you're listening for what things strike you and feel more relevant to you. Um, I remember hearing that song and it gave me that same feeling I got when I was a kid and I listened, I heard the weight for the first time, you know, Mm -hmm. by the band. And you're like, do I, is that, is that my favorite song by the band? No, but it's but it's certainly up there because it was like the, the the thing that sparked it all, you know. Right. Um, and I think what is neat is to to hear. Um, and there's a lot of killer versions of Bonnie Raitt and John Prime doing "Angel from Montgomery" yeah. that are on YouTube. So you should listen to that, like, because I mean it's so neat because he wrote the song, you know, from the the point of a, of a woman, you know, and and I, I always forget that. I always forget that he wrote it like as a woman in the lyrics. And I just think that that's such a beautiful thing and a brave thing to do so long ago. You know, a lot of people would be like, why'd you do that? doesn't make any sense. I didn't get that. You know, Um, if you, you know, you should, you should change it. And if a girl sings it, then the girl can change it for them. You know, I just, I just think that that was like really uh, a brave thing. So there's a part of me that always, uh, always will love that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I, yeah, I feel like if you if people don't know John Prine, I would say you know that first album is just it's hard to beat. And then um, I my my I have yeah I have Common Sense and Sweet Revenge, and then I have two best of John Prine albums on eight track. Those those are the four things that I have. So those are the things I listen to the most. Um, mm-hmm. Again, like yeah. Please don't bury me. Is giving me a whole new thing to think about, just because that makes me laugh. And uh, you know, knowing that he passed, you know, uh, it get, puts new meaning to that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it would have been so good if if we asked you what your favorite John Prine album was, and you did the Alan Partridge thing of like, mm, I'd have to probably <laughs> say the best of John Prine. <laughs> Exactly. I was just thinking of that. Yeah. <laughs> I would mm, there's so many good ones, but I'd probably have to go with the best of John Prime. <laughs> That's probably my favorite. 
<laughs> uh, you'd be amazed how many times I get stuck into that trap when I'm like listening to eight tracks and you don't realize it's whether it be Kenny Rogers who also passed. So I've been listening to a lot of him and you're like, Oh man, I got a lot of best of records. I really need to get some, <laughs> I need to get some of these other albums if I, if I can find them. Yeah. Um, so, so what's the one song that we would, we should fade out this episode on please don't bury me because you know, the, the obvious, I mean, that, that's, that's the one that I played. I posted on the day the day he died. The day we found out he died. But um, yeah, uh, my, my, I, w- I would go for please, please don't bury me. Yeah, I don't know. I, w- I would. I think you could play anything. Yeah, you could play anything. It's all good. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you coming on and sharing some thoughts about uh, nothing. One of the masters of songwriting out there. So rest in power, John Prine. Absolutely. Give my feet to the footloose, careless, fancy free. Give my knees to the needy, don't pull that stuff on me. Hand me down my walking cane, it's a sin to tell a lie. Send my mouth 